Hi, I'm Jordan Hernandez, and this is Just Start Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we have Giovanni Loricella here, a very talented individual. He's the vice president of a medical device consulting firm down here in South Florida. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Of course. And before we get into it, we have a word from our sponsors, Beardscape. Beardscape is something that's very relevant during this time of the COVID-19 and a lot of facial hair, and uh, especially with uh, Gio, who looks like a snowboard instructor. <laughs> it's something that uh, we feel very strongly about on this show. So Gio, uh, from our sponsors and from the show itself, Just Start, here's Beardscape. I appreciate that. Um, as you can tell from how I look, I've clearly never seen anything like this. So I'm looking forward to using it. Thank you. Gio, let's start from the top. Uh, where are you from? In Buffalo, New York, born and raised. In the snow is where I spent most of my days. <laughs> and uh, now you're down in South Florida. What brought you here? College. Cool. Well, speaking of college, a lot of our listeners um, are going to college or are in school and transitioning into the, you know, the workforce. What did that look like for you? Terrible. Really? I mean, I graduated in 2009 in the big financial recession. So, mm. um, I mean, being in South Florida and it's changed a lot over the past 10 years, mm -hmm. but like in terms of industry and opportunity and all that stuff, and then also graduating in a recession, mm. I mean, just to make it pretty crystal, <laughs> I graduated with a degree and then, uh, worked at Starbucks. So you worked at Starbucks when you yeah. graduated. Okay. So you graduated college and then. You were a, a barista? Not directly. I mean, depends on how long you want this story to be. Um, yeah. two, two days after I graduated, I moved to Costa Rica. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was there for nine months. Didn't think I was coming back uh -huh. and then came back. So I graduated in 2009. Um, I was a finance major. I was actually in class. Mm -hmm learning about finances and this is in 2007 2008 when mm -hmm. the actual meltdown was happening right and i remember being in classes having the textbooks or the class room discussions change that day because of what was going on like forget about what they were supposed to teach us this is happening now your finance majors this is what you need to learn and why things happen wow so that was cool that was cool um but when I graduated, um, there was, I knew there was no opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I ended up having um, a friend who wanted to retire in Costa Rica. Right. Big money guy, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I was a finance major. So the, la the summer before my last semester, um, I ended up getting hooked up with this guy who just taught me how to read financial charts. And I like, lived in a room for a couple months. Mm -hmm. It sounds weird, but it's also very true and very yeah. accurate. And I just studied financial charts, financial charts. And then he gave me basically money to open up a trading account for him. Hmm. And I made him a lot of money very quickly. Wow. So you studied finance, which I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And then you moved to Costa Rica. And yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you learned Spanish. I didn't know Spanish before going there. Okay. Um, I picked it up on a daily basis living there because... Sure. Not I, I didn't move to one of the big resorts or like right next to the airport. Mm -hmm. I ended up going up to one of these small little towns where no one spoke English. Right. And I lived with a guy, ironically enough, from Seattle. Okay. 
Um, so Where you got married. I got married in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But the guy was from Seattle. He couldn't speak Spanish. Hmm. But I mean, we're skipping a whole bunch of details. But yeah, I mean, I, I lived in Eng- I lived an English life basically with this guy. But whenever we left our house, it was in the most backwoods. No one spoke English, and if you wanted anything, even go to the grocery store or find out where the bathroom was, you had to speak Spanish. So it was more like a day by day thing learning. Right. And then six months later, you're like. Oh, okay, I can have a conversation. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Okay, so you did that. Like you, you graduate as a, a finance ma- uh, finance major, and then the recession hits. Nope, the recession hit, and then I knew that coming into graduating. So keep in mind, I graduated in two thousand nine. Got it. The recession happened seven eight. 2007, mm-hmm. 2008, like when everything started melting down, right? So right. 2009, we were already into it. Yep. It was very clear that there was not going to be like a robust amount of opportunity mm. for someone wanting to stay in Southeast Florida, which was pretty much predicated and built upon tourism and restaurants and all that other stuff, right? Right. So that summer, right before I graduated, is when I learned how to study financial charts, made my guy, my friend, a bunch of money. He mm-hmm. wanted to retire in Costa Rica. We mm-hmm. ended up going on a trip right before, like a week before my last semester started. To basically scout it out. Right. Three days into it, he was like, and, and he's a guy from Maryland, and mm-hmm. an older guy. Yeah. And he was like, oh, this is much less English speaking than I expected. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm not moving here. Okay. So we just basically enjoyed the rest of the week of being there, mm-hmm. um, of which one of our last nights there, he asked me, we were at a bar, and he goes, um, how did you how did you make me all that money? Like, how did you actually figure out how to trade so quickly? Right. And I just told him my story, like of what I did and how we did it and all that other stuff. And, um, and like, right as I was finishing the story, this other guy who was right behind me taps me on the shoulder and he goes, would you ever think about moving to Costa Rica? Like, do you want a job? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I'm about to go to the, back to South Florida. I know I don't have a job. I have one more semester left. Mm-hmm. And so I met this guy. Long story short, um, we connect. Mm-hmm. I fly back to Costa Rica four times um, in my last semester of college. Wow. The fourth time actually was the time I moved there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a very famous developer, uh, commercial real estate developer. And wow. he wanted to build hotels and all this other stuff. And he wanted me to be his basically right-hand man and project manager. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like ecstatic. I had yeah. a job lined up right out of college in the middle of a recession. Yeah, wow. None of my friends had any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I graduated December 19th, 2019. December 21st, 2019. I'm sorry, 2019. What am I talking about? Uh, 2009. Sorry. Yep. Graduated mm-hmm. December 19th, 2009. Mm-hmm. Arrived December 21st, 2009 in Costa Rica. Man. Been there four times. This is my fourth time. Been there three times before that. Yeah. Knew the guy. Sat down with him. The whole thing. Show up to the hotel. Um, asked for Michael. Yeah. And he died like a week before. Really? Yeah. And that was it. Like there wasn't like any welcome package or anything like that. And I was like, I'm now in Costa Rica. Yeah. And I think I have a job and I'm, and the guy's dead. And there's like no backup plan. Literally a dead end. Yeah. So, so what happened next? So it's me and my luggage mm-hmm. and I'm in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, 
all right, well, I'm here and I'm not going back home. Like, I just knew that I wasn't going back home. That was my thing. I'm just, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't call my parents and tell them that I was coming back home. Right. Not going to happen. Of course. I had to figure it out. Yeah. So like right around the corner from this hotel is where this bar, which is called the Sportsman, mm-hmm. and a bunch of foreigners hang out there, mostly American guys and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, so I'm like, well, I don't really know what to do. I'm just going to go grab a drink. Yeah. And um, I run into a guy who I met on one of my previous three trips, mm. who Michael, who's now dead, yeah. introduced me to. He was a guy from Seattle. Wow. Okay. And he happened to be just drinking a beer there. And I just sat there and I told him, like, I just got off the plane like four hours ago. <laughs> and I thought I was going to be moving here and I had a job and the whole thing. And I got, I mean, Michael's dead. And <laughs> I don't have anything. <laughs> Michael's not here. Yeah, like, I don't have anything right now. And I don't know if I'm going home tomorrow or if I'm like, what am I doing? Right. And um, at the end of that, he goes, um, I don't have any means of paying you, mm. but I can pay you in room and board. Like I can feed you and I can give you a place to live. And I also have a nonprofit organization that works in environmental services here in, in Costa Rica that I've been building. I would love to be able to have you help me with that. Wow. I can prop you up. I just can't pay you. Right. Which fit into my plan of me still being in Costa Rica, but not telling my parents that I'm coming home or I don't right. have money or, or asking him for money or anything yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah. So I went from thinking I was going to spend the night in that hotel that I was supposed to be staying at for months because that's where I was going to be living Mm -hmm. to going up to this mountain, small little town where no (laughs) one spoke English except this guy who was from Seattle who's been living there for now like six years at the time. Wow. And he had this social media, online presence, website, Mm -hmm. environmental organization, nonprofit, and... I didn't have to worry about rent and I had a room and a little place to myself and, um, and he would feed me. That's terrific. (laughs) That's the dream. Yeah, it was. And then that happened for nine months. Mm -hmm. And then one morning I showed up to the office like I did every single day and keep in mind the office was in the same compound as both of our rooms. Right. I mean, day in, day out, seven days a week, not six, Mm. five. It was every single day. And we Mm. would take trips throughout the country and stuff like that. We broke broke it up. But um, I showed up one morning and he just never showed up again. Never saw him again. Disappeared. Disappeared. And then after that, that's when I just flew back home. Yeah. And um, that's when I decided that I didn't know. And the recession was still pretty here. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do. I wanted to lock up time. Mm -hmm. So then I... uh, I love school. Yeah. Like love being a student. Oh yeah. So I applied to university of Miami for a PhD mm. in international economics. I got accepted. Mm. And then I was like, wow. okay, that's locked up. But I think that was by like late September or October or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe November. Um, but anyway, sometime around there mm-hmm. and the, the semester wasn't starting until the following September. So I'm like, what do I do? Yeah. I have my future. I have my next five years of a PhD locked up. Yeah. Like, what do I do? Just do what you love. Right. I love coffee. Yeah. So I became a barista at Starbucks and just ride my bike to work every single day. Had health insurance through them, collected a paycheck, ate mangoes off the tree, lived in my parents' condo in West Palm Beach, and then um, just did that and loved it. 
Um, and then May 2011, mm-hmm. got a letter in the mail still because of the whole recession thing happening. The Apparently the political science school in the University of Miami and the economic school or the business school in the University of Miami, which were supposed to merge to s- save money, I guess, or yep. combine forces on finances, they didn't. And we got a letter in the mail saying that um, you could still pursue your PhD if you wanted to, but we can't give you the stipend mm. in order to actually do it. And yeah. you're not. And I already had undergraduate debt, right? So I wasn't going to <clears throat> that's tough pay for my own PhD and take that out as well. So um, I said, forget that. Mm. That's not my future anymore. And then a bunch of white noise details. I ended up joining my firm uh, June eighth, twenty eleven. Been there ever since. Wow. How did you find your job that you're in now? Found out that I wasn't going to my PhD program in Miami. Right. And, you know, you had your next five years locked up. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a postal mail that you received, mm-hmm. like you opened it up. And as opposed to getting accepted in the university where everyone's popping champagne or whatever, right? It was kind of like, oh, my God. Everything I had planned is no longer there. Right. What do you do? Yeah. Um, so I put together a resume and just went on at 2009 times, mm-hmm. 10 times. Um, Gatling gunned it all over Craigslist wherever mm-hmm. I could. Just just send it out as many places as I possibly could. Full send. There was a fun day and then the next morning mm-hmm. – I didn't feel so great. Got it. Too much apple juice. And my phone was ringing, mm-hmm. but I was still in my condo. And like all the light, I remember it was like 1030 in the morning or whatever like that. And the lights were all off and stuff. And I was just kind of like, uh, like going around the house. Right. And the phone answered and it was Holly Scott from the Mullings group. Okay. And she's like, Hey, I received your resume. Um, would love to have more conversation with you and share a little bit more about what you do. Do you have time? Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because in the firm right now, we all still laugh at what I'm about to tell you. My response to her was, yeah, I got nothing else better to do. <laughs> like that was apparently my response. <laughs> very professional response. Very, very, yeah. very, very, very professional. You, you come back from Costa Rica, right? And you got ghosted uh, two times. Yeah. Right. Um, you had to feel pretty defeated at that point. Uh, Maybe rejected. I don't know. No, I mean, but that's never been who I am, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, you have two choices. You either do it or you don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then you just take that and you overlay it onto the situation. And, and sometimes it's macro and other right. times it's much more granular, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do I go to that place tonight? Do I do it or do I don't do it? Right. Mm-hmm. Or like life. Yeah. Do you do it or do you not do it? Mm-hmm. Right. So like when I showed up to the hotel and found out the guy who was supposed to give me a job was dead. Mm-hmm. I'm in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. At that point, in that moment, I had no contacts. Right. My parents weren't there. My friends weren't there. So it was just me and myself, right? So like, what mm-hmm. do you do? You drop down to the floor and start crying and screaming out like, why me, why me, why me? Yeah. You can do that. And then there's going to be time until you stop crying. And then you get up and you're like, okay, well, now I got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Or you just 
go and figure it out. Right. But that's how I do it with everything, right? Like I, I think, and you know, you, you fast forwarding crazy amount of time into like my job right now, and you can ask my wife and all this other stuff. Like I, I travel a bunch for work, and stuff happens all the time. Stuff that you don't want to happen. You yeah. miss trains. You miss planes. The Uber doesn't show up on time. You have an amazing meeting that you've been waiting for for two months, and you're an hour late, or they're an hour late, or because of all these crazy reasons, right? Yeah. How you handle that is the fate of your character. Mm. Or the, I should say the character is your fate. And yeah. how you handle those situations determine how they actually unfold. So, I mean, if you're constantly looking for handouts or for you, if you're constantly looking for someone to help you out, and I mean, not to say that we all need help. We all need each other for sure. Right. But I mean, if you go fetal mm-hmm. and you fall on the floor and ask for someone else to pick you up, mm. you know, you're not going to get very far. So when those things happen to me, I, it's, it sucks. Yeah. But you just, it sucks. It does. But you yeah. just take the next step. Yeah. Because you have to anyway. Right. So you could just either waste time mm-hmm. and wallow. Yeah. Or you just go do something about it, which you're going to end up doing it anyway. And, you know, it's funny knowing you as a person, I feel like most of your life, you refuse to do the blame, the blame game, right? Yeah. You kind of just took it on and said, okay, I'm going to figure out a creative way to get around this obstacle, whatever that thing is, and get to where I need to be. Well, I mean, so yes, but what does blaming do to anybody? Yeah. It's like when you blame somebody, like imagine the imagery of you sitting across the table from somebody Mm -hmm. and you figuring out whose fault it is. Right. And if magically you both come to an agreement of whose (laughs) actual fault it is, which generally doesn't happen. Right. You still then have to take action. Yeah. Whether it's you or that person or whatever like that. Why not just take action? How does that? So it's funny you say that and it reminds me of my marriage, (laughs) you know, like trying to figure out like who's at fault what my point is, how I was talking to you, what I did, what I didn't do, what she did. How does that lend itself to the business world? The blame game holds significantly little lure ground in the business world Mm. than it does in your own home, right? I mean, you change jobs, you change clients, you change bosses, all that stuff eventually goes away. In theory, the person you come home to doesn't change. (laughs) So Ideally. Ideally. So, you know, you could sit there and have much more time on being like, well, you did this and you did this and you did this and you did this. And then they say, and you did that and you did that. And like, right. right? And you have all this extra time. Mm -hmm. But it's all what it's based on is emotion. Yeah. Right. It's not when you have money or contracts that are in between you and the other person. Yeah. There's no emotion. Right. It's like, how do we fix that? Like you either get the money, you don't get the money or that contract is or it's broken. Mm -hmm. The emotional piece between you and your spouse or significant other, it's like it's much more messy. And there's not like a start and stop where it's like, oh, here's the contract. You didn't abide by it. We're done. Right. You and your spouse or your significant other, your wife, whatever it may be, you don't have that luxury. Right. So whether it gets messy in the moment, you have to make that work Mm -hmm. eventually. But with business, it's like. 
the going back long circle to your point, mm-hmm. the blame game doesn't really exist. To backtrack, you you come back from Costa Rica, and then uh, you were working at Starbucks for a bit in your early twenties. Uh, you land a job at this uh, med tech company, and you hit the ground running. Right? Um, walk us through what that was like. There was no training manual. Mm. Um, and a tremendous amount of trial and error. So it's a 100% commission business, right? So right. you eat what you kill. Mm-hmm. I don't have some luxurious salary where I could say it's a Wednesday and I really just don't feel like working today. <laughs> and I'm going to end up making the exact same money at the end of the year as I would, right? Yeah. So my output determines what I bring home. Mm-hmm. And as, and also the, the ups and downs that go with it. In the beginning, were truly mountains and valleys, mm. um, and I think through experience and trial and error and stuff like that, it's sure. just you've leveled off the highs and lows. I've always been a person that embraces that. Mm. Like I love failure. Really, I do. I love it. Um, I love like, and even much not on a professional basis, but truly on a personal basis. Mm-hmm. You know, you meet these people, whether it's in romantic relationships or business relationships or friendly relationships where, and most people are like this, where um, they're closed off initially Mm -hmm. and it just takes time to earn their trust. Okay. Right? Yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah. A lot of people are like that. Much like your dog here, Vita. Exactly. Um, It just takes time to earn people's trust. I've always been the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Like I show up to every brand new relationship, like arms wide open. <laughs> I let them know who I am. Yeah. This is what I am. This is who I am, what I want to be. This is what my brain is thinking right now. I... Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the whole purpose of that is like, for me, it allows me to find out who you are in my life quicker. And so by being so open and, mm-hmm. and vulnerable mm-hmm. um, and not keeping everything tight to the chest and using time to earn or have you earn my trust, vice versa, yeah, um, it speeds up the time for you to mess up, to show me who you are. Hmm. Are you not going to trust me? Are you going to hurt me? Mm-hmm. Are you going to do this, right? But if you don't show up like this, it takes much longer to fail. Right, because you're constantly building on these like longer-term relationships, right. and they might fail months down the road or years down the road, mm-hmm. where they would have failed way earlier on. Yeah. So yeah. my my whole philosophy is like, I'll give you all my trust day one. Mm-hmm. What you do with that reflects of who you are. Yeah. And if you want to hang yourself with my trust, then I know that you're not a person that I want in my life, mm-hmm. or a client that I want in my portfolio. Yeah. Or yeah. something like that. Right. So I use it both personally and professionally. Of course. So my personal philosophy is like fail quick, mm-hmm. fail as quickly as you possibly can. Know what is valuable, what is not valuable in your life mm. quickly. And by just doing it, right? I mean, not sitting on your thumb, not playing video games, you know, reading a lot, asking a lot of questions, being curious, mm-hmm. talking with old people, older people. Mm-hmm. Whether or not the old people are smart or millionaires or whatever, yeah. they've been on this earth longer than we have. Stuff happens. Yeah. Stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And 
having the ability to have older friends or family and listen to them and being curious and asking good questions and putting yourself out there mm-hmm. just makes you this like incredibly vulnerable sponge of the world mm-hmm. so that you can build your own internal mental or algorithm mm-hmm. to be successful quicker. Right. That's been my philosophy. It's a great philosophy. So really quick. Um, By the way, before you get there, I just want to, I'm reading a book right now and I, and I, I wanted to say this yes. in terms of those people who are going through hard times and, and going into the real world and mm-hmm. what does it mean to go into the real world, mm-hmm. whether it for yourself as an individual or on a small team or in a classroom or wherever it may be, mm-hmm. this book that I'm reading right now, I'm, I'm a reader. I know you're a reader. Mm-hmm. I love reading. Anyone I think, if I could give the gift to everybody in the world, I would just ask everybody to read. Yeah. But there was a quote and it, it just makes so much sense and it's very true. Um, not all readers are leaders, mm. but all leaders are readers. Show me a true leader and ask them, do they read books? And show me one that says no. Yeah. All right, so we have some questions for you. Um, James uh, from Boca Raton asks, um, for finance, what recommendations do you have for him? He's at UCF, he's a business major, and he's just looking for any advice that you can give him. To make it the shortest I possibly can make it is read the book, Mm -hmm. The Millionaire Next Door, if you want a short answer. All right. Slightly longer answer, mm-hmm. the author of The Millionaire Next Door started a book called The Next Millionaire Next Door, which was almost going to come out more than 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, while he was writing the book, he was killed in a car accident mm. and his daughter finished the book. Wow. So to write, I should, I should say to read The Millionaire Next Door. Mm-hmm. The Next Millionaire Next Door, and a book by Tony Robbins called Unshakable. If I have to give any advice to any up-and-coming human being going on their own into the new world on how to manage their personal finances, read those three books. Anything after that, call me and I'll be more than glad to give you more reading. Great. No, that's awesome. Um, This idea of like... um accepting failure. And for, I think a lot of like, you know, young 20 somethings that are listening to this that are like, you know, I don't want to fail. I can't do this because, you know, I don't have enough followers yet. I don't have enough money in the bank account yet. I don't have enough experience yet. Like, you know, to that person who's at that point, like, well, I don't think I'm going to do it yet. Like, you know, in another year, two years when I'm more established, I'll take on that task. Then what do you say to that person? Fear is the worst vice any human can have. Mm. And as cliche as it sounds, I think it was from a Mighty Ducks movie. I swear to God. I mean, Flying V. It, it, it sounds so cliche, but sure. it has lasted with me my entire adult life. And as cliche as it is, I use it whenever I'm feeling fearful. Mm. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You can't blame anybody else for not succeeding Mm -hmm. if you never tried. Right. 
And if you're afraid of failing, mm-hmm. well, then you'll never make it. Right. If you don't get off the couch and go read that book on finance mm-hmm. because you don't know what an IPO is mm-hmm. or what an IRA is, yeah. or if you don't know what a short sell means or an equity is, whatever it may be, right? Sure. If you don't know those things and you're like, oh, I don't know those things, yeah. or you're fearful of learning those things, or those things are reserved for the people who went to college to study those things, yeah, that's your fault. Hmm. Did you have a moment uh, in your life where you said, you know what, I've, I've had enough of who I've been, I'm not happy with it, and here I go? Mm-mm. No, I think um, it happened to me differently. Mm. Um, so I was raised by my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I think when I have children, I will raise them in a very similar modality that my grandparents raised me. When your grandparents are raising a grandson who's your son, Mm -hmm. you've been through it before. Mm -hmm. So all the white noise stuff kind of just sifts off to the side. Sure. Right? Every time I sneeze, it doesn't mean you take me to the emergency room, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But they were also later in their life. Mm -hmm where they had the means to enjoy the finer things in life mm-hmm. they, of which they exposed me to. Right. For example, born and raised Buffalo, New York, right over the border, they spoke French in Canada, mm-hmm. right? Um, the trendy thing to do, ironically enough, now I live in South Florida and I'm married to a Honduran who speaks Spanish. Mm-hmm. I studied high school French, mm-hmm. not Spanish. We right. were offered the option of French, Spanish, and German. My aunt lived in Spain, studied Spanish, speak Spanish. Everyone Mm -hmm. wanted and did take Spanish. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take French. (laughs) We live, we live right next to the border. I'm going to take French. Right. I don't need Spanish. (laughs) Fast forward. You're going to move to Costa Rica and then live in Miami and South Florida and marry Honduran. Let's study French. Totally. Worked out. Worked out well. Um, but study French Mm -hmm. and my, my parents, um, my grandparents, they gave me a goal and I'm a goal oriented person to begin with, but they Mm -hmm. said, um, we will take you to France if you become our translator. Mm, That's so cool. Do you know for an ambitious person Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't work with everybody, right? Some kids would be like, sure, dad, je parle français. Let's go to France. Right. And I'll, (laughs) and and they wouldn't care. Like, but it was my mission. Like Mm -hmm. French, for the first two years of my high school until I went to France, like that was my favorite class because it had a purpose. Right. If I learned French, I would go to France mm. and I had to be my translator for my parents. And that's what I did. That's so they cool. took me to France in my sophomore year. At the end of my sophomore, it was the summer between my sophomore and my junior year. And my freshman and my sophomore year, I studied like mad. And I, Learn the conversational language. Life is what you make it, right? I mean, if you're expecting handouts, mm-hmm. expect severe disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes expect incredible luck. Mm-hmm. If you want to make your own life, expect incredible difficulty. Mm-hmm. But the value and the amazing feeling that you get from knowing that you've done it yourself yeah. is better than any money can buy or any silver spoon in your mouth. Yeah, absolutely. The ROI is super high. I think this is the end of our podcast. And I, uh, I have to ask you, you've been all over the world. You've been to China, you've been to Europe, Latin America. Um, what are some of your favorite accents? 
and why? Accents. It's weird after all the accents that you hear. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to travel that much to figure out that it was still my favorite. But I mean, it's still my favorite. The English accent. Really? The English accent, the Irish accent. I love the English and the Irish Here, can you, accent. Can you can you give us a little bit of that? No, no. Just like just like just like a little bit, like you know. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Sometimes when I'm drinking, uh huh, I love talking business in English. And I have so many friends of mine that are up in Birmingham <laughs> and down in London. And when we're doing business together, life couldn't be grander. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Thank you. Let's go down to the pub and have a pint. You know what I mean? <laughs> the favorite place that you've been to, that you've traveled to? I was fearful of you asking me that question. For now. We won't marry you to that, but... If you allow me to give you this answer instead. Okay. So my wife and I are, are very largely into wine. Mm -hmm. And when you start in the world of wine, you generally fall within a bucket. You're a white drinker. You're a red, red drinker. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you start like, oh, I only like Merlot or I only like Cabernet or I only like Chardonnay, something like that, right? Sure. But the more you learn, the more you read, the more you experience, the more questions you ask, mm -hmm. the more you like it all mm -hmm. for different reasons for different times of year, for different times of day, mm. for different times of, or I should say for different purposes, yeah. right? Celebratory versus not, right? That mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. I've been incredibly fortunate to travel to many places, multiple times each. Yeah. I have many places that are like very close to my heart. Mm -hmm. I would say, as cliche as it sounds, after a while, um, the road is incredibly lonely mm. and it truly is about who you share it with mm. rather yeah. than the place itself. Right. So I would always recommend a companion if you can. Mm. However, if I had to answer question black and white of like, what are my absolute favorite places? My absolute favorite places. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Washington State. Okay. As a whole. Yep. So Seattle as a metro metropolitan city, mm -hmm. the culture, the coffee, the scene, mm -hmm. Eastern Washington for the vineyards and the nature and everything that comes along with it. So like right. the entire state in the U.S. <clears throat> holds my heart the dearest. But you got married there. I, and I got married. Which is a big deal. Which is... Because of that is the reason why I got married. <laughs> right, of course. It wasn't yeah. vice versa. I, yeah. I loved it yeah. so much that I had to get married there. Mm -hmm. Europe, I would say as a whole, but I've traversed every country so many times that like mm -hmm. I have so many memories and experiences all over that like, it's very hard to say like which one. Right. Um, for me personally, and I know this is going to sound a little weird, I think the most romantic city, once again for me, it's going to sound strange, the most romantic city in Europe is Amsterdam. Really? Yeah. The aesthetically, aesthetically, mm -hmm. it just, it, it feels like a, um, Tim Burton film. Sure. Wrapped into a real world. Yeah, I can see that. And the winding roads and the, and the architecture, but yet it's still open aired and it's not like condensed like Venice, for example, but it's, mm -hmm. and you still have the waterways, yep. but the English speaking is there. Not mm -hmm. that I'm opposed to it, but it's there. and I don't speak Dutch. Yeah. And the cultures are in the foods there. It's great. Mm -hmm. 
Paris is the city I've been to the most out of anyone. So it just personally yeah. has my heart. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Hemingway even brings that up. He said, once you go to Paris, yeah. it's a movable feast. Yeah. Wherever you go, you always take it with you. What is it about Paris? I was just there last month okay. and, I, and, and I'm there every single year, mm-hmm. minimally once. Um, I was just there coming off of a trip to Amsterdam. Actually, I was just there for a night and, mm. and I have a friend there who's also a client and just to be there just for the night. I don't know. I, when I'm there, I feel like I'm home. Mm. I mean, you know, you see the Eiffel Tower, you, you walk the streets. Yeah. Their love of culture, their love of sure. life. Yeah. It's just French. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, it's a city that I feel so comfortable in. Like you could drop me in there. They're, mm-hmm. they're international, but yet they're incredibly French. Right. The food, the wine, the mm-hmm. culture is intense. And mm-hmm. for being such a massive city, yeah, the yeah. identity of a culture is mm-hmm. still so strong mm-hmm. of French. Well, I think, uh, I think I've asked for enough time from you. So thank you for uh, enlightening wow. me and uh, anyone listening. Uh, as to uh, finance and school and business and even relationship advice. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you uh, you being on here. Thanks, man. I appreciate the time too. Great. Thanks for having me. Until next time. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, Gio. And that's it. Thank you for tuning in. This is Just Our Podcast. Mm-hmm.